This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. Well, we're into December now. It's December the 10th. It's the Christmas season. How many of you have already watched The Grinch? Raise your hand. Okay, good job. Maybe you've watched Rudolph the Old Red-Nosed Reindeer cartoon or whatever it was. Puppet show. We're doing all that we can possibly to get the Christmas spirit. To get excited about the season. Some of us like to do the decorating. Some of us like to do the cooking. Others, You know, Susan and I went to the mall yesterday. Because that was a bright idea to go to the mall three Saturdays before Christmas. And we went to the mall because there was something she had to get to the mall. Will you go with me to the mall? Yes, I'll go with you to the mall because I'm an amazing husband. And I've had people, did you get the Christmas spirit at the mall? No. Okay. My biggest thing at the mall was I was sitting on a bench waiting her to come out of whatever store she was in. And there was another gentleman my age sitting there next to me. And if I, I looked over at him and I saw this tired, worn out guy sitting there staring at the floor. And then he looked over at me and most likely saw the same thing. I said, buddy, if they just brought sandwiches and sodas to us guys on the bench, we'd be, he said, brother, I'd be here every day. (laughs) That's the Christmas spirit. I thought that was the funniest thing. But you know, today we're going to talk about what the Christmas spirit is. And people are striving and trying, and you may even have family members and friends saying, have you got the Christmas spirit yet? Or maybe they're giving you a hard time. Maybe they're calling you the Grinch and saying, well, you just don't have the Christmas spirit. You know, we can be mean to one another when we want to be. And I often wonder, what does that mean, the Christmas spirit? And you know, sometimes it's fun. I like Christmas. Don't get me wrong. I love the holiday. I love the decorations. I love the parties. I love the food. I I think it's great. I think it's fun. But you know, there are times when life continues to be life, even during the Christmas season, doesn't it? Unfortunately, people still lose jobs during the Christmas season. People still get sick. People struggle with family issues. And more often than not, the Christmas spirit, as it's been called, sometimes instead of pushing away those difficulties, they tend to magnify them. Especially in the era of social media, when we see everybody else's big parties and big family gatherings and luscious and lavish decorations. And we look at that and we think of, what have I missed? What's wrong with me? Why don't I have Christmas spirit like thus and so? And we get discouraged. I don't know about you, but I've had my tough Christmases in the past. We've suffered loss. We've had difficulty at Christmas time. And so this morning we're going to talk about the spirit of Christmas. We're going to talk about what it really should mean and how it could actually help be a shock absorber even when difficult times come this time of the year. So what is Christmas spirit? Tom MacArthur, the theologian and pastor, he had said this about what the world sees the Christmas spirit as being. What is the Christmas spirit? The Scrooge, you know, the... uh, the antagonist of the great novel, A Christmas Carol, Scrooge, the Scrooge Christmas spirit was a ghost. 
I love that story too. I enjoy it. I try to read some of it every year, or at least watch one of the incarnations of it on TV. It's a wonderful, gut-wrenching, uh, tear-jerking story. But to, to Ebenezer Scrooge, it was a ghost, or three or four ghosts, actually. To the liquor industry, the Christmas spirit comes in a bottle. Somewhere around 75, they sell somewhere around $75 million worth this uh, time in the year, this month in America. Some people feel that Christmas spirit is somehow the truce that takes place in the family when nobody brings up the issues and the quarrels. When nobody has an argument or a fight, everything's calm. Oh, we've got the Christmas spirit. But I like what Jeff Goins says. He's an author and a sort of cultural observer. And after reading the account we just preached on last week, Luke 1, 46 through 56, about Mary and her announcement of being uh, filled with God's Spirit and carrying the Son of God. And all the difficulties we talked about with that last week, he says, as it turns out, it's not about holiday special or about getting everything you ever wanted. He says, through the dirty and, and, and downtrodden and nearly forgotten, through the dirty, downtrodden and nearly forgotten, I learned what December 25th is really about. And it's about compassion. It's about compassion. It's about God's compassion regardless of our circumstances, whether, whether physical or spiritual. It's about compassion no matter what is going on in our lives. Because let's face it, no matter where we are on the calendar, stuff goes on. But this time of the year, we have to try to gin up something that quite frankly, sometimes we just don't feel. And so this morning, we're going to look at Christmas spirit. Goings learned it from really reading the story of Mary. We talked about how last week she was just excited and full of God's spirit because she realized that God saw her even though she was insignificant. And not only that, but she claimed God as her savior. God saved her from her sin. And God selected her to carry the Son of God. God's compassion showed on one unknown teenage girl. And yes, it brought her sometimes more trouble than she had ever expected to have, be honest with you. But nonetheless, Mary exemplified and exhibited that spirituality that is the Christmas spirit. So we're going to go to that, that time of Jesus' birth. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, go to Matthew chapter 2. The book of Matthew chapter 2. We're going to see in Matthew's account of the events surrounding the birth of Christ. Now that, after all, is what we consider the first Christmas. And what was going on on that first Christmas? What was the spirit like on that first Christmas? It's not what you think it is. It's not what you've been told it is. Let's look at it. It says in chapter 2 of Matthew, verse 1, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now we said this was around the time of Jesus' birth. Most Bible scholars and teachers, and I'm one of them, believe that this was actually two years after the birth of Christ. 
And we aren't going to get into all of the machinations and all of the minutiae, where's Brett, in that this morning. But nonetheless, Jesus was probably around two years old when this occurred. And suddenly wise men come to Jerusalem. They're seeking him. And naturally they go to Jerusalem because that's the capital of Judea in the day. And we don't know why the wise men came altogether. I, I really hesitate speculating. God doesn't need me to add the details to Scripture. But why did they came? It is perhaps they had um, ability to read the Jewish Scriptures. As Israelis would immigrate to different parts of the world, they would take copies of their Scriptures with them. And perhaps these wise men, they were most likely from the Babylonian era, what is today modern-day Iraq and Iran, Wise men, the Greek word there is magi or magoi, and it literally means scientists, wise men, soothsayers, uh, astrologers. It had several different meanings. If you read the book of Daniel, it talks about the different soothsayers and astrologers, and this is probably what these fellows were. And we hear the song about the three kings. They weren't kings, and there are probably more than three. But nonetheless, they were coming and they were seeking something and God had placed a star in the heavens. We know that as we'll see a little bit too. But maybe they had a copy of the Jewish Old Testament. And maybe they were studying it, read it, and found out that a king was prophesied who would be born in, in, in that area, in that region. Maybe God had communicated to them through revelation. Maybe God, whatever they did, they were coming to meet the new king. This king that had been born. And there was still swirl even two years later. Still excitement because of this birth. Remember from the book of Luke in chapter 2, the, the angels appeared to these shepherds and they heard them sing and shout. The angels, man, they ran around and spread the news after they'd seen this newborn king. So they were still buzz. There was still excitement. And people were just wondering, what is this all about? And so there was a spirit in the air. The Germans call it the zeitgeist. The spirit of the day. The spirit of the moment. And they were excited. And so what was going on? Well, let's look at the different parties involved. And you know, it's interesting. Human natures, while, while technologies change, while nations change, human nature never changes. People are the same today as they were 2,000 years ago. And there was always talk, there was always swirl about something. And invariably, there are different groups that get involved in the swirl in the conversation. You have people who are involved in politics. You get all the politicians all worked up. They had politicians in that day. They also had religious people and scholars who always had to press their opinion and their thought. No, they didn't have Facebook or Instagram. But nonetheless, they were able to share and communicate. They also had people with a bit more wisdom. We're going to look at those groups, and we're going to see what genuine Christmas spirit is. First of all, we're going to look at the politicians, represented in this case by King Herod. All We're all familiar with King Herod. We hear King Herod. King Herod, he, we hear people say, well, he was kind of a bad guy. Well, King Herod wasn't just a bad guy. He was a bad guy. You think we've got corrupt politicians in this country. You don't even know what that looks like. Because let me tell you a little bit about King Herod. 
King Herod wasn't even supported by his own family. His own family didn't like him. Why? Because he didn't pick up his socks after he you know, took them off? No. His own family didn't support him because he killed three of his sons. He was jealous of them and he was afraid of them. He killed three of his sons. Not only that, <laughs> and I like the way this is worded, he killed his favorite wife. At this point, you would be glad not to be his favorite wife. Killed his favorite wife and her grandfather, her mother, and brother-in-law. Not to mention some of his own subjects. This was a, just a murderous guy. He was a paranoid beyond belief. He was afraid because all these people, he thought, were seeking his throne. And it really didn't belong to him. He was placed there by the Roman authorities. He, he was placed there by Caesar Augustus himself. It goes on to say that he frequently wrote to remove, or wrote to Rome rather, requesting permission to execute one or more of his sons. Eventually, even his patron, the person who put him there in the first place, Caesar Augustus himself, said this about Herod. I'd rather be one of Herod's pigs than one of Herod's sons. That's a pretty big indictment against this man. So when you think of corrupt politicians, and we have our share, let's not be uh, uh, too Pollyanna. We have our share, but I tell you, this man was a mess. And the reason why he was such a mess is because he was just flat out paranoid. Rome had given this position to him over Israel. He was the king, but they didn't like him. He wasn't even Jewish, by the way. King Herod was more Arab than Jewish. He was Idumean, which is down in southern area, northern Arabia, southern area of Judea. He wasn't even Jewish. But these wise men came to Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, I feel the same way sometimes, so, you know. That's how I was in the mall yesterday. So Herod got wind of the wise men coming. So let's look at the politician of the day. He says, verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. <laughs> and all Jerusalem with him. Because here's the thing, if Herod was troubled, people became afraid. Because when Herod was troubled, people died. So, so Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests, scribes, and the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ child was to be born. So he met with them. They told him, we'll talk about that in a minute, but just go down to verse 7. So then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, he determined from them what time the star, because they said they had followed a star that had been miraculously, miraculously placed in the sky for them to follow. Now, there are people who will say, why was this star there? What was this star? How can we explain this star? I saw a, a, a thing on YouTube, a video that, took, that, was, that was measured at an hour. I didn't watch it, but in this hour, this supposed teacher was going to tell us all about this star in an hour on YouTube. I can do it in two minutes. There was a star God put there to guide the wise men. There you go. What was it, pastor? Was it a real star? Well, I don't know. And God doesn't tell us. See, the same God that created the universe 
provided this miraculous light, this star. The same God that created the large fish that swallowed Jonah created this star. The same guy that God that parted the Red Sea created this star. God can do anything he wants to. Doesn't need a scientific explanation. We have the truth of God's word. He just put a star there. So he put a star and it said they followed the star. When did the star appear? Verse 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem. And notice this. He said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me. Now this just drips with slime and sleaze. Bring back word to me that I might come and worship him. Can you see that face? Can you see that smile? I mentioned the Grinch earlier. Can you see that, just that smile? I just want to worship him. Because Herod, listen, this was all just a, a sham. Herod was a politician. He was a corrupt politician. He was a murderous politician. And as politicians go, more often, instead of faith, there's fear. Because generally, and not all politicians, I'm not going to paint them all that way. Let's, let's not be too generalized. There are great politicians out there, men and women, who are doing a great job for us. But more often than not, politicians are very paranoid. They're fearful. And this child that was born was called the King of the Jews. Well, see, that was Herod's job. And Herod did not want anybody, not even this little child, to come and usurp his throne. Herod was paranoid. He was in fear of his position. Not only that, but we see Herod's fakery. He didn't want to worship that child. He wanted to get rid of that child. It wasn't anything for Herod to kill. If he was able to kill his own family, his own wife, he's not going to hold back killing a child. And more often than not, even today, Politicians are fearful of Christ. They're fearful of the message of Christianity. We have in our culture today what's been termed the war on Christmas. I don't, I don't think there's a war on Christmas. But I do think there's paranoia when it comes to the message of Jesus Christ. Why is it? Because humanity likes to see itself on the throne. Politicians like to be on the throne of our lives. Because with politicians come the idea of power. And there is a great cultural change. We've taken God off of his throne and we put government there. Government becomes the great caretaker, the great giver, the great provider, the great answer bearer. And more often than not, and this, this happens on both sides of the aisle. More often than not, government tends to replace God. When the people get excited about God, the things of God, the truths of God, the reality of God, it makes some in the government paranoid. Which is why you have many politicians who put down churches, who put down Christianity and so forth. It's amazing today what politicians choose to support and observe and what they choose to ignore and tear down. But we have been guilty in our nation of putting government in the throne of God. And when you start raising the truths of God, you make government paranoid, nervous. And not just national government or state government, but even in our own personal lives. Many of us consider ourselves the king or queen of our existence. That I'm going to call the shots. I'm going to make the decisions. I want my life to go my way. And we're quickly hesitant to put God on the throne of our lives where we should. 
And so we'll talk a big game about how much we love God and how much we want to worship God as long as God does everything the way we want Him to. As long as God complies with our own individual government or governments singing lighthouses, castles. I think of communist China today, who, by the way, you don't hear much about this on the news, but they're on pair in China to destroy Bible-believing churches. Just within the last few years, it's rent up again. Now, understand this. They have a state church in China. But the Chinese communist government tells them what they may or may not preach. What they can and cannot do as far as worship. Because when somebody starts preaching the supremacy and the, and the magnificence of Almighty God, it displaces them and they don't like it. And again, it goes back to not only national governments and state governments... But think about the governance of your own heart. Who is the king or queen of your life? Are you living in your own little castle? And then when you come to church and you talk about God, oh, it's all smiles, praise the Lord and glory to God, and all those things. But politicians are more often than not fearful and fake. And it's because of paranoia. That's why there's such a struggle with Christmas today. Because there's a lot of paranoia. Unbelievers don't want God usurping their authority. Skeptics don't want God proving they're wrong. The beautiful thing about it is God still loves them and wants to carry them and, and hold them as his own. So we see the politicians in, in Herod. Herod just said, no. Yeah, bring me the child. I want to know him. I want to get to know him. But that's, that's what goes on in the politicians and in the media, for example. But there's another group involved here. These are the scholars. The scholars, the academic world. Not, not secular academics either. Even religious academics. Let me tell you something very clearly. Jesus Christ was no, was no friend of the religious or the religious were no friend of his. Now he loved them. But Christianity is not religion. I hammer that so often because I think we just don't get it sometimes. Religion is humanity's effort to curry and earn favor with God by keeping laws and commandments and statutes. The reality is that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. None of us are perfect, including the preacher standing before you today. Not perfect. We've done things wrong. And no amount of religion can wipe away our sin. You could live in the church sanctuary. You can be baptized every Sunday. You can give your entire paycheck in an offering plate. And if you've never received Christ alone as your Savior, it'll be easier to you to, for you to get to heaven just jumping up and down. That's as close as you're going to get. Religion hasn't saved anybody. As a matter of fact, religious has been, religion rather has been responsible for, for allowing people to go to hell. Christianity is about relationship that we enter into. And yes, realizing we're sinful. Realizing that there's nothing we can do, give or say or pay that will wash away our sin. We must come to the risen, crucified, risen Savior. Humble before Him, admitting our sin, owning our sinfulness. Unable to save ourselves and casting our full faith and confidence in Jesus and Him alone as our Savior. The moment we do that, God saves us and gives us everlasting life. For by grace are you saved through faith, the Bible says in Ephesians 
For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It, salvation is the gift of God. Not of works that anyone can boast about. We're saved by grace, unmerited favor of God through faith, complete trust in God. But there are scholars today, even religious scholars, that know the message that I just shared with you. Look what it says as we move back up again. So here we are, and, and the wise men come, and Herod wants to know about this. Wait a minute, what king? What child? What in the world? I've been hearing about this. And the wise men said, we're looking for him. So the wise men, he's not there in Jerusalem. So they go to the, uh, to the scholars, the religious scholars, I might add. And it says in verse 5, so they said to him, where is he going to be born? In Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet. And he goes on to say in this, and it's in Micah. He says, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. It's a small town. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Centuries before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the book of Micah, the Old Testament nailed exactly where Jesus would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea. If you have an old King James, it says Bethlehem Ephrathah. And that was the region of Judea because there was another Bethlehem in the north among the tribe of Zebulun. Bethlehem is simply a town. The name means house of God. And it was a common town. Like today, we have, we, we're in Concord, North Carolina. But there's a Concord, Massachusetts. They say it wrong there. Okay. There's a Rome, Italy, and a Rome, Georgia. That was a common name. So the Old Testament prophet nailed it centuries before. And all these scholars and all these religious leaders, man, they were studying. And when the Herod and the wise men came to them, where is he going to be born? He's not here in Jerusalem. Where is he going to They nailed it. Boom. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. And they quoted the prophet. And then they gathered up their books and they got on their camels and they rode like mad to Bethlehem. Is that what it says? No. The religious scholars, the religious leaders, the, the priests, the scribes, the Bible scholars, they discovered the truth. They knew exactly where it was, exactly where he was to be born. But they disregarded the truth. They didn't go find him. They didn't go seek him. They just said, yep, that's where he is. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to. I remember having an interview when I was in college with the head Jehovah's Witness of Central Florida. I remember going to his house with a classmate of mine. And it was for class, and we sat and interviewed a very nice man, very congenial, friendly, polite. And we treated him with politeness and grace. And interestingly enough, he could quote the gospel to me just like I quoted it to you, even better and clearer. He knew that the Bible taught, and we knew that salvation was not of works. He taught, he shared, yes, I know your gospel. I understand your gospel. And he quoted it. It was amazing. We were both like with our mouths hanging open. And he said, but it's not true. He said, I believe, and then he gave us the doctrine of the Jehovah's Witness system. He knew what the truth was. And he rejected it. 
Richard Dawkins, the great atheist skeptic. I've read three or four of his books. He knows what the gospel is. And again, he can give the gospel just as clearly as you and me. He knows what the gospel is. But he's rejected it. I've shared the gospel with people who have rejected it. But understand, these are the academics. These are the scholars. Just like today, we send our kids off to colleges and schools. We send our kids to churches. And we expect they're getting truth. But the cultural spirit today is truth is relative. We talked about that in my Sunday school class in dealing with doubt, Thomas's doubt. Well, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. It's all relative. No, it's actually not. Truth is truth. Something is either true or it's not. And these guys, they knew the truth, but they didn't come. I wonder how often that happens among the Bible teachers in our churches. It's interesting how we know Christ, we talk about Christ, we preach and teach Christ, but somehow we miss that genuine spirit of Christmas. We have the truth, but then we disregard the truth. The truth of Christ being God in the flesh. The truth of Christ and God bringing his son to us, born in the manger in Bethlehem. The truth that at that moment, God himself in flesh entered human existence and began to live among us and to be like one of us, yet without sin. The truth is that he did that because he loved us. And with what began in the cradle in Bethlehem, 30 plus years later, became climaxed on a cross. That's the truth. That's the Christmas story. So the politicians, they get paranoid. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to know it. They just want to shut it down. And again, I'm not just talking about politicians in the governmental sense, but also human politicians in their own personal kingdom. And I'll be honest with you, and I'm just going to be blunt, sometimes we have those individual self-governed politicians within the church of Jesus Christ. They want things their way, and if they don't get their way, they get nervous, they get upset. How many pastors and church staff have been fired from churches by these self-governed, godless politicians within the church? Do they have the Christmas spirit? What is the Christmas spirit? So that's the politicians and the scholars. They know the truth, but they don't care. Basically, it's passiveness. Yeah, we're the Christmas spirit. Jesus came. Jesus lived. Jesus died. He was buried, rose again from the dead. Offers salvation to all who would come to him by faith. Isn't that amazing? There was a movie made years ago about Christ. It was called The Greatest Story Ever Told. That is an apt and good title. Because this is the greatest story ever told. And the beauty of it is if you know Christ as your personal Savior, you know that story. You have that story. And you've got friends and family members that you're going to celebrate Christmas with who don't know that story. And thanks heaven for our good church staff, Aaron and Mike, and our good Sunday school teachers who share that gospel and that good news. And yet we go home, we go to work, we go to school at Christmas time, and we're passive. 
just like these scholars. We know about Jesus. We know what he did. We know why he did it. We know who he did it for. We literally have the cure to death and hell in our very hearts. And we leave it here when we leave on Sunday. So we have people who are afraid to be dethroned by God. We have people who know the truth, but just leave it lie. Then we come to the third party. You want to talk about Christmas spirit, the wise. These wise men that came from Iraq, what is modern day Iraq, then it was Babylon. The wise, what did they do? Well, let's look at it as we continue. So he went to Herod. Herod was scared. Oh, I want to meet him. I want to see him. I'm going to worship him. No, we know what happens. If you read the rest of the story in Matthew, Herod kills every young male child two years old and younger. That's why we believe Jesus was about two years old, give or take, around this era. Plus, different Greek words describe Jesus in Luke that describe Jesus in Matthew. The word describing Jesus in Luke is a word that means literally an infant. Whereas the word describing the child Jesus in Matthew carries more along the line of a child, a little bit older. And there are other things that tell us, but nonetheless... These wise men, these people came to seek him and find him. Herod wanted to kill him. So it says in verse 9, When the wise men, when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them again. God was directing them. God was leading them. Till it came and stood over where the young child was. So obviously this was not some stagnant, not moving star in the heavens. This was a moving piece of light, best described as a star. And it came and and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with great exceeding joy. Now with these wise men, and it's interesting they are referred to as the wise men, we are going to see what can and should be the actual true Christmas spirit. How we should best express the Christmas spirit. And again, let me me say this. There's nothing wrong with enjoying Christmas trees. And going Christmas shopping. If you like to do that, do that. I don't want to go. But if you like to do that, do that. If you like to have ham, turkey, big meals, my number is in the book. <laughs> if you like exchanging and buying presents, I'll, my sizes, I'll get them to you. You know, I, I enjoy that. I've always enjoyed There's nothing pagan about it. Oh, pastor, pagan. It's Chris, pagan to, to have Christmas. That's baloney. Okay, that's a bunch of junk. Don't let somebody tell you that. We just need to make sure that we don't let the trappings overshadow the truth. And that's where real Christmas spirit lies. And we get this evidence by these wise men who came. And notice it says, And when they had come into the house, not a manger, not a stable, when they come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So when we look at these these wise men, we see the spirit. We see, first of all, they were searching. If you want to get the spirit of Christmas, here's what they did. They searched for him. It was no mean feat to leave central Iraq to come all the way west to Judea. It was quite the harrowing travel back then. You just didn't get to hop on an interstate and stop at Bucky's to get uh, sausage rolls and gasoline. 
It took sometimes weeks. And they traveled slowly. And there were bandits and, and so forth. And, it, and the weather conditions. And it's just not a... It, they searched for him. It was inconvenient. It was difficult. We get so caught up in the good trappings that oftentimes we forget to see Christ in Christmas. They searched for him. Not only that, when they found him, notice it says when they found him, what did they do? Uh, when they found him, they fell down and worshiped Mary. No, it doesn't say that. They didn't worship Joseph. They worshiped him. The spirit of Christmas is that spirit of the search, looking for God, seeking God, not religion, seeking God. The beauty of that is God has revealed himself in Christ. It's not all search for us today. And when they found him, they worshiped him. He was that focus. He was a purpose. He was a plan. Unfortunately, sometimes we get so caught up in what we think the Christmas spirit is, we lose that focus on Christ. They worshipped him. Not only did they worship him, not only did they search for him, but they brought gifts. Their gifts were for him. Yeah, we were at the mall yesterday. It was crowded. It was nuts. Okay, I, I generally hung out on a bench or a chair and read while Susan did all that stuff. But she went into one store and she said, would you please stand with me in line? That really, that really uh, pushed my husband's dedication. But I did. I stood with her in line in the makeup store. Yeah. And I was making fun because I was looking at stuff. I kind of like this shade and she put it down. But people were just scrambling and running to buy things for each other. And again, that's fine. That's great. But I'll tell you, the greatest Christmas gift ever given was the gift of that child. And the greatest Christmas you can, gift you could give was lay your life on the altar and sacrifice for him and live for him. The greatest Christmas gift you can bring to someone else is the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you're, as you're changing socks and sweaters and toys and things, we need to think about sharing the gospel with those of our family and friends who don't know him. The gifts were not for them. The gifts were for Christ. He was the focus of their search. He was the focus of their worship. He was the focus of their gifts. And then he was a focus of their obedience. So when they opened their gifts, they, their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, gold fit for a king. Frankincense was, a, was an incense type of thing that was used in worship. It was broken or burned, and it would give off a wonderful smell because Jesus was the high priest. And then the myrrh was an aloe-type plant that was often used to help heal burns and to cover dead bodies. Interesting, this prophetic nature of those gifts. Jesus is prophet and priest, and he is king. Notice verse 12, then being divinely warned in a dream that God said, look, no, don't, don't, don't back, listen, listen. He said, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod because Herod didn't want to worship him. They departed for their own country. So the wise men, yes, they searched. Jesus was the focus. They worshiped. He, their focus was on him. Their gifts were for him. And when God warned them and commanded them to go a different way, they went. They went a different way, unfamiliar, uncharted. You know, when we meet Jesus Christ, when we come to know him as our Savior, our lives become different. 
we then become children of the King. And as we yield to Christ as Lord of our lives, we need to start going a different way. Not the way we'd always been going. They were obedient. And that's just a life of praise. Searching for Him, worshiping Him, giving to Him, obeying Him, that's all the way we praise God. That, that is the spirit of Christmas. Politicians and pundits are fearful and paranoid. I heard one presidential candidate, and he was on the side of supposed conservative people. He said, my favorite verse in the Bible is John 16, 3. I'm thinking, really? What is that? I had to go look it up, and I don't even remember now what it was, but I think he was trying to say John 3, 16. But he didn't get it right because he was a politician. The scholars know a lot of stuff, it's one thing to know stuff, it's wisdom to do something with it. That's why these guys, other guys, were wise. They followed through with the knowledge they got and found Christ. So I leave you with this concerning the Christmas spirit. Yes, enjoy the trappings and fun, but there are people who are struggling. And if you're one of those people, I remember Christmas in 1984. At this time, my dad was struggling with cancer. And I remember having Christmas Day at home and he was in the hospital. I was 22. And we went to the hospital to see him and he was having difficulty and we brought him gifts but he would never, never enjoy those gifts because I went to work the next day on Christmas 26, December 26, the day after Christmas and got word my dad had passed away. Calendar doesn't know struggle. Christmas doesn't push away struggle. But I tell you what I did know. My dad knew Christ as his personal Savior. And while it grieved my heart and broke my heart that my dad was gone at such a young age, 55, I was able in the midst of my grief to celebrate for him because he was enjoying things that I could only imagine. People are struggling this time of year. Maybe you are. But Christmas spirit, while it can be enjoyed in all the trimmings and trappings, you can find the spirit, search for Christ. The spirit of Christmas is there. Search for him. When you find him, worship him. No matter what is going right or wrong in your life, fall on your knees and go before him. And if there's any gift you want to give, give, give your life to Jesus. And then whatever direction he tells you to go, you go. And you will have the Christmas spirit as it genuinely is. I leave you with one verse that I think in my mind sums up the entire aspect of Christmas spirit. This one verse in the Bible speaks of Christmas spirit more than any other. And listen, it's not where you think it's going to be. And I will quote it, unlike the politician, correctly. It's John 3.16. You want to get the epitome of Christmas spirit? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the true spirit of Christmas. Standing together as we close in prayer. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're enjoying this holiday season, this Christmas season, I hope that you're
you are spending good times with family and friends. I hope you're enjoying good meals. I hope you're enjoying all the runaround. Some people really like that. I hope the decorations are encouraging and uplifting. But listen, we can enjoy all of that, but let's not allow that to cloud what the truth is. All of these things are expressions. Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling with loss. Maybe you're struggling with discouragement. Maybe things just aren't going well. And you're upset even more because you have family members and friends trying to perk you up and get you into the spirit. And you're just not feeling it. I get it. I understand. And don't knock them. They love you. They're trying to help you. They, they, they're, they're not, you know, man, they're great. I'm, I'm glad if you have somebody in your life doing that, celebrate. But if you want the real spirit of Christmas, if you want the true joy that's not dependent upon outside parties and practices then be like those wise men search for Christ in the midst of your difficulty and when you find him fall down and worship him and if you're going to give anybody anything surrender your life to Christ once and for all and for those people that are loving on you make sure that they know Christ as their savior make sure that they know what pundits call the reason for the season and then as you worship Christ, as you honor him, and as you give to him, your life is laid out. And Christ says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Do that. Go in that direction. You said, I'd never done it before. Well, the wise men had to go back another way. God has given you another way. And I'll tell you what will happen. Your Christmas celebration will be so much richer, so much fuller, jammed with meaning and purpose. And whether you're enjoying the holiday trappings or not, you will have the Christmas spirit because God so loved you that he gave his only son for you. And if you would just believe on him, that just means to trust and rely upon him completely. You will not perish, but you will have, right now, everlasting life. My brother and sister here at West Concord, I love y'all. You're amazing. And we're celebrating Christmas. I'm looking forward to the children next week. I'm looking forward to just Christmas Eve that we're going to have Sunday morning, that Sunday morning. But West Concord, let's continue to seek Christ. Let's be the wise men and women. Seek him, worship him, give to him and for him, and live in obedience as he gives us commands. May we honor Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time together. Father, we thank you for this time of the year when despite their willingness, Father, the world must talk and, and look at Jesus. And many times they're arguing against him, but Father, give us the strength and the grace to share him and to bring him in a biblical true way to them. We pray for our politicians. We pray for our academics that they might find Christ this Christmas. But more importantly, Father, we pray for each of us, myself, these gathered, that we might find Christ in a deeper way. Give us your Christmas spirit. Make our lives transformed and new as we search for you, as we worship you, as we give, and as we obey. 
and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.